We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Hey guys, it's Morgan. Welcome back to the show. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe. Today we're going over the Twitter files, the latest update. This one's about censorship with COVID on Twitter. It's ridiculous. And unfortunately, so many people don't even know that this kind of stuff is being released, aka during Christmas. I was with family members that had no idea. And so I said, hmm, I wonder how many other people haven't heard of this. Maybe I'll do a whole episode dedicated to it. So let's get into it. All right, before we get into the topic, have you ever picked up a towel set because it felt really soft at the store, but when you get home and use it, it's actually not absorbent at all? It's basically a towel that's leaving you out to dry. (laughs) That's why MyPillow has developed the MyPillow towels, towels that work. I know it's mind-blowing, towels that actually dry you. The six-piece towel set includes two bath towels, two hand towels, two washcloths. They come in a variety of colors, and right now you can receive a six-piece set for only $39.98. Oh, that's dang. That's a good price with promo code Morgan. You guys, that's actually, it's impressive. Maybe I should order myself one and use my own promo code. Go to MyPillow.com right now and click on the radio listener special. MyPillow products come with a 10-year warranty on their 60-day money-back guarantee. To receive this amazing offer on the six-piece towel set of MyPillow towels, go to MyPillow.com, click the radio listener special, and use promo code Morgan or call 800-738-8474. That's MyPillow.com. Use promo code Morgan. Thanks, guys. Okay, so as you guys know, different, more respected journalists, because there's very few of those out there these days that we trust, they have been handed the responsibility of being the ones to break certain sections of the Twitter files. What happened, Elon Musk bought Twitter and is now making transparent a lot of the issues that were going on behind the scenes. That's the people in leadership positions and staff positions in Twitter, censoring their political opponents, censoring people about COVID. And then not only that, working with the government, government agencies like the FBI, the Biden administration to carry out this censorship and removal of people's voices. And then not only that, the the most important thing to me so far has been that the FBI was paying Twitter to censor and shut down their political opponents, people on the right, and anybody that really pushes certain stories, including the Hunter Biden laptop story, Quick reminder on that one, 16% of people that voted for Biden said they wouldn't have done so had they known about the Biden laptop story that would have changed the results of the 2020 election. So just a friendly reminder that that's kind of a big deal. And we used American taxpayer dollars to pay Twitter via the FBI to handle that. So if you just love paying taxes, then you might not see this as a problem. You might be like, Morgan, who cares? I just love handing over massive swaths of my money that I could be using to pay off my debt, to pay for a house, to bring more things into my children's lives that will better our entire family environment. I could be doing that, but no. It's enjoyable to know that my money is going to censoring political opponents and it's not going into finding sex traffickers online or people that are exploiting with sexploitation children by uh, holding them hostage and blackmailing them on the Internet. You know what? You know what? Our country has good priorities by working 
with tech companies to censor political opponents like we're in the USSR. Okay, I'm going to stop while I'm ahead because I just am going downhill quick. Here we go. This update, this is, I think, Twitter files number 10. This one is from David Zweig. Zweig? I'm sorry, I can't pronounce this right. His bio says that he's done stuff for The Atlantic, New York Magazine, Wired, The New York Times, and a few others. So he has a sub stack as well, davidzweig.substack.com. He was chosen for this section. So this section that we're going to talk about today is about COVID, Twitter, and censorship about COVID things. We'll start with the first tweet. It says one thread. (laughs) The Twitter files, how Twitter rigged the COVID debate. One, by censoring info that was true but inconvenient to the U.S. government policy. Two, by discrediting doctors and other experts who had disagreed. Three, by suppressing ordinary users, including some sharing the CDC's own data. Second tweet. So far, the Twitter files have focused on evidence of Twitter's secret blacklists, how the company functioned as a kind of subsidiary of the FBI, and how execs rewrote the platform's rules to accommodate their own political desires. What we have yet to cover is COVID. This reporting for the free press, at the FP on Twitter, is one piece of that important story. The United States government pressured Twitter and other social media platforms to elevate certain content and suppress other content about COVID-19. Internal files at Twitter that I viewed while on assignment for the FP showed that both the Trump and Biden administrations directly pressed Twitter executives to moderate the platform's pandemic content according to their wishes. At the onset of the pandemic, according to meeting notes, the Trump admin was especially concerned about panic buying. They came looking for help from the tech companies to combat misinformation about runs on grocery stores. But there were runs on grocery stores. Here is a screenshot of the email. It says the Trump White House, specifically Michael Kratzios, led the Trump administration's calls for help from the tech companies to combat misinformation. Areas of focus included conspiracies around 5G cell towers. Okay, I I do that. Runs on grocery stores and misinformation that could stoke panic buying and behaviors. Coverage here, documents here and here. Then the next tweet says it wasn't just Twitter, though. The meetings with the Trump White House were also attended by Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and others. So again, this is a bipartisan thing, you guys. This, this isn't just Biden. The Biden administration was using big tech to censor political opponents. But when it comes to the COVID stuff, Trump admin was apparently doing the same. And Biden was as well. Here's another screenshot from David. It says Twitter, alongside several other tech companies, including Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and others participated. Activities included a standard, a standing weekly call to share general trends and hosting a shared Microsoft Teams group. Some of the companies, not Twitter, gathered open-sourced information from researchers. Our teams fed this information to the Twitter policy enforcement teams. David says when the Biden administration took over, one of their first meeting requests with Twitter executives was on COVID. The focus was on anti-vaxxer accounts, especially Alex Berenson. One of the first meeting requests from the Biden White House was about COVID misinformation. Per regular process, public policy took the meeting. Biden's staff focused on vaccines and high-profile anti-vaxxer accounts, including Alex Berenson. Now, here's the thing. The Trump admin 
was trying to stop information that would freak people out about buying certain things that were going out of stock, about running to the grocery store and buying up everything and then leaving the grocery store shelves empty because people were panic buying. If you guys remember this, it was happening with like toilet paper and all these essential items. And, you know, you could make the case, I'm not saying I agree with this, you could make the case that like, hey, it helps the, it helps stop the panic buying to not have that kind of information out there freaking people out. Because if everybody just bought their normal amount and didn't freak out, then we wouldn't be in the situation in the first place. You can make that case. I also think at the same time, though, listen, hey, we should be able to communicate that you guys might want to go to the grocery store and pick up these things that are going to be empty soon because they are running out at the stores. So just keep that in mind. Like the fact that we as the people aren't allowed to communicate that kind of stuff if it's legitimately happening is concerning. So do you see how there's two sides there? Next one. It says in the summer of 2021, and let me just cut in first. So that was what was happening with the Trump administration. But Biden's team comes in and they use this control and this communication with big tech in a different way, this time to shut down people that are speaking out about COVID and the spread and the vaccine. So back to the thread. It says in the summer of 2021, President Biden said social media companies were killing people for allowing vaccine misinformation. Berenson was suspended hours after Biden's comments and kicked off the platform the following month. Berenson sued and then settled with Twitter. In the legal process, Twitter was compelled to release certain internal communications, which showed direct White House pressure on the company to take action on Berenson. A December 2022 summary of meetings with the White House by Lauren Culbertson, Twitter's head of U.S. public policy, adds new evidence of the White House's pressure campaign and cements that it repeatedly attempted to directly influence the platform. Colbertson wrote that the Biden team was very angry, quote, very angry, that Twitter had not been more aggressive in deplatforming multiple accounts. They wanted Twitter to do more. Twitter executives did not fully capitulate to the Biden team's wishes. An executive review of internal communications at the company revealed employees often debating moderation cases in great detail and with more care than was shown by the government towards free speech. So you had the government actors in the Biden administration demanding just blankly, we want X, Y, Z, these following accounts removed because we don't like what they're saying. They're spreading misinformation. Meanwhile, the Twitter employees were trying to bring rationale and debate and discussion to the concept of deleting these accounts and if they should or shouldn't. So that's interesting to hear. Concerning, of course, but I I give credit to the employees that were struggling. This is also a good reminder. I don't even know if I mentioned this, but I sent it to Ali at my nonprofit because we do the communism stuff, anti-communism stuff, I should say. And you had an employee at Twitter when they were talking about deplatforming people or removing people, deleting tweets, removing the president specifically in this situation. And one of the employees from Twitter had escaped communist China. And he knows specifically firsthand how dangerous that kind of stuff is, totalitarianism, where you only allow one political side, the side that agrees with the regime, to have a political voice, to speak, to have existence in the public square. Um, that's what happens in China. And, and this employee spoke out in the group chat discussing if they should or shouldn't remove President Trump from Twitter. And he says, you know, based on my experience from my home country, I can tell you how dangerous this is when you go down the line with this behavior as the standard. And I thought that was fascinating. So Ali shared that to the nonprofit pages, but I didn't know if I mentioned that to you guys. So you have people in Twitter, and this is something that you see often. You have maybe a majority of the people that are gung-ho and like they're the woke people. They're the ones that that think 
anything about anti-vax on Twitter is going to lead to people dying and they think that they are valiant and just with what they're doing and they're gung-ho about this kind of censorship and they don't see anything wrong with it. But you did have good people in Twitter. You had those good people that saw the problems with this and maybe they spoke out and got shut down. Maybe they spoke out and were just drowned out because they weren't in the majority. They were in a small minority. It is kind of nice to know, hey, at least it wasn't 99% of everybody. At least there were some common sense voices. And I wonder what happened to them. I mean, I wonder if they still work there. I wonder if Elon Musk was able to see the good hearts of a lot of those employees who just had bad leadership. I truly wonder how it's going over there, but we may never know. So here we go. Back to it. It says, but Twitter did suppress views from many doctors and scientific experts that conflicted with the official positions of the White House. As a result, Legitimate findings and questions that would have expanded the public debate went missing. There were three serious problems with Twitter's process. First, much of the content moderation was conducted by bots, trained on machine learning and AI, artificial intelligence. Impressive in their engineering, yet still too crude for such nuanced work. Second, contractors in places like the Philippines also moderated content. They were given decision trees to aid in the process. What? Okay, decision trees, but tasking non-experts to adjudicate tweets on complex topics like myocarditis and mask efficacy data was destined for a significant error rate. Okay, there's a screenshot here. I'm going to see. It looks like this is the, the tree that these remote workers were given. Here we go. So here's the questions in this little tree. It says, is this claim about any of the following topics with some options? Then it says, what kind of message is being advanced regarding this topic, specifically what is being said? who is the author of the, or what is the author's position and then basically from that it says enforcement recommendation recommended tweet level solution where does the misinformation reside and additional recommended solution so this is an interesting little thing that this is the back end of what these people see when they're censoring us and it says third most importantly the buck stopped with higher level employees at twitter who chose the inputs for the bots and decision trees and subjectively decided escalated cases and suspensions. As it is with all people and institutions, there was individual and collective bias. With COVID, this bias bent heavily toward establishment dogmas. Inevitably, dissident yet illegitimate content was labeled as misinformation, and the accounts of doctors and others were suspended both for tweeting opinions and demonstrably true information. Exhibit A. Dr. Martin Kaldroff, an epidemiologist at Harvard Medical School, tweeted views at odds with U.S. public health authorities and the American left, the political affiliation of nearly the entire staff at Twitter. He said the following. So basically, someone tweeted at him and said, Dr. Kaldroff, do you think younger age groups and or people who already had the virus need to be vaccinated? I am not an anti-vaxxer, but I am vaccine hesitant about this one. It seems to be a religious mantra now that everyone must be vaccinated. Dr. Martin Kaldroff said, no, thinking that everyone must be vaccinated is as scientifically flawed as thinking that nobody should. COVID vaccines are important for older high-risk people and their caretakers. Those with prior natural infection do not need it, nor do children. Internal emails show a, quote, intent to action by a moderator saying Kaldroff's tweet violated the company's COVID-19 misinformation policy and claimed he shared false information. Here's the email. This is the email sent to the COVID-19 misinfo team at Twitter. 
It says, Hi team, sending a heads up that we will take action on Martin Kaldruff, a professor of Harvard Medical School. This is a bunch of Twitter employees taking action. We will take action on Dr. Kaldruff, a professor for Harvard Medical School, for violating our COVID-19 misinfo policy, specifically by sharing false information regarding the efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines, which goes against CDC guidelines. Um, He didn't say anything about efficacy. He said that it's smarter for some groups to take it, and it's it's important to consider what group you're a part of. That's all he said. Come on. Next tweet says, but Kaldruff's statement was an expert opinion one which also happened to be in line with vaccine policies in numerous other countries. Yet it was deemed false information by Twitter moderators merely because it differed from CDC guidelines. After Twitter took action, Kuldriff's tweet was slapped with a misleading label, and all replies and likes were shut off, throttling the tweet's ability to be seen and shared by many people, the ostensible core function of the platform. In my review of internal files is from David. In David's review of internal files, he says, I found countless instances of tweets labeled as misleading or taken down entirely, sometimes triggering account suspensions simply because they veered from CDC guidance or differed from establishment views. A tweet by at Kelly KGA, a self-proclaimed public health fact checker, what, with 18,000 followers, was flagged as misleading and replies and likes disabled even though it displayed the CDC's own data. David says internal records showed that a bot flagged that tweet by Kelly KGA and that it received many tattles, what? Quote tattles, what the system amusingly called reports from users. (laughs) That triggered a manual review by a human who, despite the tweet actually showing a screenshot from the CDC page's own data, nevertheless labeled the tweet as misleading. So a screenshot of CDC data that went against the general COVID narrative that's pushed by the government, it was labeled as misinformation. Tellingly, the tweet by Kelly that was labeled as misleading was a reply to a tweet that contained actual misinformation. COVID has never been the leading cause of death from disease in children. Yet the tweet remains on the platform without any misleading label. The tweet, that's actual misinformation, says that since December of 2021, COVID has been the leading cause of death from disease for children. And Kelly's response was saying, what an excellent example of cherry picking. If you narrow it down to only the specific months you specify, which include the largest COVID wave seen across the world, and you ignore all the non-disease deaths and you ignore cancer, heart disease, SIDS, yeah, then sure, COVID is leading. So this this narrative, if you guys remember this, they were saying it was going after kids, it was the leading cause of death, when in reality, it was in no way the leading cause of death. And it was very, very wrong to share that kind of fear tactic with parents. I mean, that's terrifying. It's traumatizing to even consider that. I don't even have kids and I'm scared from that. Here we go. But David says, whether by humans or algorithms, content that was contrarian but true was still subject to being flagged or suppressed. This tweet was labeled as misleading, even though the owner of this account was a physician referring to the results of a published study. Infectious Disease Ethics tweeted this, and it was labeled as misleading. It says, quote, Below, the first study I have seen showing that mRNA vaccines in young people aged 16 to 39 are associated with cardiac arrests, not just myocarditis. First vaccine dose, second vaccine dose, cardiac arrest, COVID cases. And it basically shows that there is a trend between the people that get vaccinated at a younger age. 
that got flagged for misinformation, and it was from a published study. Next tweet. Andrew Bostom, a Rhode Island physician, was permanently suspended from Twitter after receiving multiple strikes for misinformation. One of his strikes was for a tweet referring to the results from a peer-reviewed study on mRNA vaccines. He tweeted the following, Primary COVID-19 BNT162B mRNA vaccination temporarily impairs semen concentration and total modile count among semen donors, with apparent rebound by five months, but no data on boostering effect. Does boostering yield another decline, followed by what? Wow. So there is a peer-reviewed study that shows there is a negative impact for five months on a male's sperm count and ability to travel, I guess would be the the word for that, in men. Five-month impact. Are you kidding me? I also saw an interesting study recently, and I forgot to save it for this show. Maybe I'll talk next episode about it. But it was this whole thing about how, like, because it's an egg and a sperm coming together, those two cells, when you're making a human, like you want your sperm to be as healthy as possible. If you're having babies with an unhealthy man and he's bringing an unhealthy little sperm cell into your healthy egg, you got some problems, ma'am. So you got to work on that. Everybody, both sides of the relationship should be making sure that they're not consuming toxic ingredients. They are not surrounding themselves in an unhealthy environment because it can. And this study, I will talk about it because I'm passionate and I'm remembering the study. This study proved that it is the case that you your own health will impact the health of your sperm and it will impact the health of your future child. Whoa, mind-blowing, crazy. Get those artificial fragrances out of the home, people. Get yourself out of that polyester outfit. All right, next tweet says, a review of Twitter log files revealed that an internal audit conducted after Boston's attorney contacted Twitter found that only one of this doctor's five violations were valid. This was a message that was sent. It says, We have re-reviewed each of the strikes and collaborated with Site Integrity to validate our findings. Of the five violations, four of them are not invalid and are not in violation. Only this tweet is in violation, number blah, 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 of misinformation. As a result, we have now unsuspended the user and responded to their appeal to let them know that we have rescinded their suspension. Also, we have left a pinned note on the account to ensure that before any enforcement action will be taken against the account, it will be subject for review by Site Integrity. We will also remove the annotations on the tweets that we have marked as no violation. It says the one Boston tweet found to still be in violation cited data that was legitimate but inconvenient to the public health establishment's narrative about the risks of flu versus COVID in children. The doctor tweeted, U.S. and local Rhode Island data, influenza is more lethal than COVID-19 in children, while COVID-19 vaccination causes greater serious morbidity than influenza vaccination in children. So the COVID-19 vaccination is more risky to children than the influenza shot, but getting influenza is more lethal to children than getting COVID-19. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. And he shared all the graphs that proved it. David says this tweet was not only flagged by a bot, but its violation was manually affirmed by a staff member. And that is telling of both the algorithmic and human bias at play. Boston's account was suspended for months and was finally restored on Christmas Day. Another example of human bias run amok was the reaction to this tweet by Donald Trump. Many Trump tweets led to extensive internal debates, and this one was no different. Donald Trump tweeted on October 5th, 2020, I will be leaving the Great Walter Reed Medical Center today at 6.30 p.m. Feeling really good. Don't be afraid of COVID. Don't let it dominate your life. We have developed, under the Trump administration, some really great drugs and knowledge. I feel better than I did 20 years ago. In a surreal exchange, Jim Baker, at the time, who was Deputy General Counsel at Twitter, 
asked why telling people to not be afraid wasn't a violation of Twitter's COVID-19 misinformation policy. So the guy who's deputy general counsel at Twitter, he said it's a problem that Trump said don't be afraid of COVID. In response to this, Yoel Roth, I'm probably saying his name wrong, I'm so sorry, Twitter's former head of trust and safety had to explain that optimism, optimism was not misinformation. He replied and said, hey, Jim. (laughs) Hey, Jim, you little totalitarian. Hey, Jim. Adding to the main thread on this subject. In short, this tweet is a broad, optimistic statement. It doesn't incite people to do something harmful, nor does it recommend against taking precautions or following mask directives or other guidelines. It doesn't fall within the published scope of our policies. Curious whether you have a different read on it, though. (laughs) Clearly he does. He thinks it shouldn't be allowed. Remember Kelly KGA with the CDC data tweet? Twitter's response to her is clarifying. They said, quote, we will prioritize review and labeling of content that could lead to increased exposure or transmission. David then says Twitter made a decision via the political leanings of senior staff and government pressure that the public health authorities approach to the pandemic, prioritizing mitigation over other concerns, was, quote, the science. Information that challenged that view, such as showing harms of vaccines or that could be perceived as downplaying the risks of COVID, especially to children, was subject to moderation or even suppression, no matter whether such views were correct or adopted abroad. What might this pandemic and its aftermath have looked like had there been more of an open debate on Twitter and other social media platforms, not to mention the mainstream press, about the origins of COVID and about lockdowns, about the true risks of COVID in kids, And David basically ends it by saying thank you to everybody in the team for helping to report on this story. And there is more of a larger story on this called How Twitter Rigged the COVID Debate at VFP.com. But basically, David ends it with one last message. He says, what might this pandemic and its aftermath have looked like if there had been more of an open debate on Twitter and other social media platforms, not to mention the mainstream media, and the origins of COVID and the lockdowns and the truer risks of COVID? and kids and so on. That's a good question, David. Thank you very much. All right, you guys. I hope you guys like this episode. I know I just read through the, the thread, but so many people haven't read through it yet, and I know it's kind of long, so why not just listen to me read it for you? <laughs> but thank you guys for listening. I appreciate it. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe, and I'll see you next episode. Bye-bye. <laughs>